but he will save you. In other words, uh, God will deal with his enemies the way they should be dealt with, but his friends, those who love him, those who serve him, he's on your side. I want you to be encouraged about that. Okay? I guess you don't have to be. You don't have to do anything I say, but that'd be, I'd like you to be encouraged about that. All right, let's take our Bibles. I hope you have your copy of the Word of God with you, and let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at verses 22 uh, uh, down through verse 24. Matthew 6, 22 to 24. We're going to jump back into the uh, New Testament world. Jesus is there. He's doing the uh, Sermon on the Mount. He has a lot to say there. And uh, today we're going to be talking about what we see with our eyes and how we look at things like wealth. The Pharisees, you know, part and probably the biggest part, the most conservative part of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, uh, were basically walking around congratulating themselves on their Bible knowledge. Uh, They believed they knew more than anybody else, and they probably did. Uh, Many of them had the Old Testament memorized, if you can believe that, all of it. And they did know the Word of God. Their problem was they didn't do what they knew. And that's always a problem for us. We sometimes know more than what we put into practice, and that's kind of what makes us Pharisees. But the Pharisees congratulated themselves on their great Bible knowledge and their wealth. They believe wealth is what God promised to give them with his blessing because of their ministries. Now, they felt it was a part of their religious reward for being such good followers of Yahweh. Now, I have to be honest here, and I have to say this, I can't blame them for feeling that way, because God in the Old Testament did promise, did you hear that? He did promise abundant blessing for those who would obey him. Now, you and I have talked before about this. We understand that there's been a change in the New Testament economy of of our faith. The Old Testament, God said, if you obey me, I will cover you over with blessing. In the New Testament, he said, if you obey me, you need to understand they hated me, they'll hate you. Uh, They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. God did not promise the New Testament believer, did not promise that if we obey him, he would cover us over with blessing. So I understand where the Pharisees were coming from because the Old Testament did promise that to obedient followers of God. But the problem is they had not learned the lesson of the Old Testament. When times are easy and money is flowing, people tend to forget God, and then they stop having faith in him. You know, I I found one of the most interesting things uh, statistically that I read about the pandemic was the fact that uh, people read their Bibles during the week at the tune of Christians, at the tune of 14%. And when we were uh, confined at home, that didn't go up, which I thought it would, but it went down to 7%. And I don't understand that, maybe you do. But when things are going well for us, we do have that tendency uh, to stop having faith in him and start putting our faith in ourselves or what we have. Wealth on earth tends to win over our, in our, that went over our treasure in heaven, let me put it that way, most of the time. We stop focusing on our treasure in heaven and working for that as, as believers, and we start focusing on what we have in the here and now. A person has to choose the kingdom that he will, will serve. A person has to choose the kingdom she will serve, the heavenly kingdom or 
his or her own little finite kingdom on earth that is only temporary and is not going to last. We do fall into the same trap that those who have gone before us fell into and the Pharisees fell into. We start thinking, I can accumulate wealth and still be a fantastic servant of God. I've heard Christians tell me, boy, if I could just win the lottery, uh, you'd be shocked at all the stuff I would do for the church, and I'd help lots of other people, and I'd be really good about that. However, uh, even though they say materialism won't go to their heads, we say, um, I will keep my priorities straight. That usually isn't what happens. Jesus teaches that this is not true in the vast, great majority of times. I do know that there are people that are very wealthy that have served God with every penny that they have, but they're the exception. We all need to choose whose heart we are going to follow, ours or King Jesus. We all need to choose where our heart lies, and that depends on what our eyes are going to see. We're going to see that today in our text before us. So there's lots of issues going on here. The basic issue is there is a kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this earth. There is a kingdom of God and the kingdom of, of Greg or the kingdom of you and, and what you're amassing and your accumulated wealth and all that stuff. And which do I trust in? And am I using the things in my little kingdom to serve the kingdom of God or am I just forgetting the kingdom of God and serving my own little kingdom? Well, if you're with me in Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to be in verses 22 to 24 today. Here's what it says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So now we know we're using metaphors and picturesque language so we can understand what he is saying. He's going to paint a picture for us. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, uh, so then the result is, is in front of us. If your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But in contrast to that, if your eye is bad... Uh, that can be translated as evil as well. If your eye is evil or is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, I want you to see, uh, we're not in you know, the book of John, but we understand the concepts that in this verse, he's already told us that instead of light, there is also darkness. Instead of darkness, there is also light. So he's talking about one eye that is full of light in verse 22. Now he talks about another kind of eye, a different eye, that looks at different things, that is darkness. And going on it says, If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And the answer is extremely great. Now this may not look like it fits, but we're going to go on here, and Jesus is saying this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, or you cannot serve God and riches. If you have a King James Bible, yours is going to be saying something like, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the Greek word, and they've just uh, kind of brought that right across in the King James, and it says you cannot serve God and mammon. That just means wealth and riches. Now, I want to remind you as we go through here of what we talked about last time, where it says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. One of the ways I can keep from storing up treasures on earth, one of the ways that I, I can put my treasure in heaven is to work for God, and one of the ways is that I would uh, be devoted to the right master. If I'm devoted to the wrong master, my eye is dark and my whole body is dark in the sense of who I am. 
if I serve the right master, my whole body is going to be filled with light because I'm looking at and seeing things that God wants me to look at and to see. So uh, they really go together in his sermon, and that's why he put it in this way. All right, let's look at our, uh, bo- the body of our text together, and I want to start with verse 22. Uh, and you can follow along in your bulletin there. And the first point is this. A proper focus on heavenly treasure affects everything we are and do. A proper focus on heavenly treasure affects everything that we are and everything that we do. Now, I want you to understand that God is talking more than just about a physical eye. He's using a picture. And the picture is to demonstrate to us that we have a world in front of us, and we can see things in that world unless we're blind. We can see everything in the world. And God is saying to us, it's important what you see. Now, in like this situation, we can look around, we can see the same things. You can see there's a rock wall up here. You can see this banner. You can see a pulpit. We all see that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about what you see because of what you're made of, what you see because of who you are. And that's the issue here. Jesus indicates in the sermon that the part that illuminates the body is the eye. Yeah, we agree with that. Everybody knows that. But he's going to call that the lamp. And the lamp has something to do with who we are. He is using the lamp as a metaphor for the eye. It's a picture of the eye. The lamp gives off light. Everybody knows that for revealing what is there. The light always shines in the darkness, and the darkness is illuminated, and everything that's in the darkness now becomes light, and everybody knows what's really there. So he uses the lamp uh, to, to picture the eye, and a lamp gives off light for revealing what is present. And now he's talking about our soul. He's talking about our life. He's talking about what's really in us. Here he is speaking of what is in a person's life in their heart. We would say the heart. What's in your heart? And that's going to depend on what you are in terms of your eye and whether it's light or whether it's darkness. The eye is also, if you will, the portal through which light travels. In other words, it interprets what is seen. The light interprets what is seen, and it uses our hearts to do that. And so that's going to mean that somebody that has the light of Christ in their life is going to be careful about what their eye sees, so the interpretation is also going to be congruent with what God teaches us. So what gets in through the eye is important because it affects the entire person, who we are. Um, what, uh, we, what we look at is extremely important for what happens inside of us. There are good things for the eye to see, and Jesus is telling us there are bad things for the eye to see. Whichever ones are seen affects the entire person. In other words, it influences the heart. So there's an interpretation coming through your eyes about what you're seeing. If you're seeing good things, it's a good interpretation, and it's going to end up in a good influence. If you're seeing bad things, there's going to be a bad interpretation of life and what's going on in you, and it's going to influence also what's happening in your heart. So Jesus teaches, if the eye is clear, and uh, that particular Greek word is, is one we're going to discuss here in a minute, but it means straightforward. I want you to think of that. If the eye is clear, in other words, if what the eye looks at is good, what the eye looks at is good, who's going to determine what good is? Well, certainly not our world. God determines what is good and God determines what is bad. 
In fact, he's also, uh, there's a juxtaposition of these two things, and that is, uh, that is clear, which is, is light, and, and everything is clearly seen, as opposed to in verse 23, that is that which is bad and that which is evil. If the eye is clear, this is an eye that is good. And the whole body will be, uh, to change that, that word my uh, New American Standard, the whole uh, body is going to be shining, if you will. It's going to be full of light. The text means to shine forth, to, to burn brightly. The word clear is from the Greek word apolous, which means that which is motivated by singleness of purpose so as to be open and above board. All right, let's melt that down a minute. I have eyes and I see things. What am I seeing? And that depends on what I want to look at. What do I want to look at? Well, what I want to look at is that which is in my heart to want to look at. And sometimes people look at bad things and sometimes people look at good things. I need to have an eye that has a singleness of purpose. What is the purpose of my eye? It is to see the things around me that God wants me to see and not see the things he doesn't want me to see. And he wants me to see those things that are straightforward in his purpose and good for his purpose and clearly serve his purpose that are open and above board. When we have sin in our life, we want to hide that from everybody. We don't want anybody to know about what we have in our heart. We, we don't want them to know what we're really like inside because they probably wouldn't like us anymore. But when we get free of that, when we have goodness in our life, and we let the light of Christ into us, and that's what we dwell on, we don't have to worry about our problems anymore. We don't care who knows about them because Jesus will take care of them. Well, this word also means straightforward, as I said a minute ago, without guile or without a hidden agenda. So what God is saying is that not, not just, you know, what I look at and say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's not good to see a blue pew. Maybe we should be red pews. You know, he's not talking about that. He's talking about things much more specifically that have to do with the things of God. So we know that he is talking about an eye that is focused on good things, all right? The word for clear points that out. It is the good things of God that we need to see. In this context, we must tie what we learned from the last time. And we'll look at verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you look at the world and you look at your treasure... What does it mean to you? How important is it? When I look at the things that God has given me, what do I think about those things? Are they all mine? Are they for my good, my purposes, my advancement, my enjoyment, my leisure? Or do they exist for a different reason? Do, do those things exist so I can serve God? Or do they exist so I can serve myself? How do I look at them? And in this context, we must tie that in. Am I laying up treasures on earth or am I laying up treasure in heaven? And that's the issue. Uh, years ago, I never had him as a professor, but I've uh, uh, read some of his books and I've seen some of his lectures on, on uh, YouTube and other places. But the late Dr. Haddon Robinson, who in theological circles was known as one of the greatest homiletical teachers or professors uh, that ever walked into a seminary, who, who that means he taught people how to preach. And he's a wonderful preacher, and I'd love to hear him. And he said this, and I think he's right on. It goes well with what we're saying today. So here's a quote from Dr. Robinson. He said, Who you are 
And he's talking about, who am I on the inside? What is my heart all about? What am I really? He says, who you are determines what you will see. And so the eye comes in and the light or the darkness that comes in. Who you are determines what you will see. And what you see determines what you will do. You can tell what's valuable to a person by what they do. They can tell you one thing, but if they do a different thing than the thing they told you, they don't really mean. I like to say people do what they want to do. For whatever reason, you will find them doing what they want to do. And if they don't want to do something, they're not going to be doing it. And Dr. Robinson says, who you are determines what you're going to see in life. And what you see determines what you're going to do in life. So if I'm looking at the wrong things, if I'm looking at the things of the enemy, I'm going to do those things. If I'm looking at God, and that's what's in my heart, and that's who I am about him, I'm going to do something completely different. So the question that the text is asking all of us and that Jesus asks us, friend, what do you see? What do you see? When you look at your possessions, do you see things for God's use and for the advancement of his kingdom? Then your eye is clear. Do I work at making my possessions God's possessions? Have I accumulated what I have for his use and his glory? Then my eye is straightforward. It is clear. My priorities in life are clearly seen by God in terms of what my eye is drawn to in this material world and why it is drawn to those things. Why is it drawn to what it's drawn to? Well, we've talked about the uh, positive thing that Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to be people that allow into our life those things that are straightforward of God and that are clear so that our whole life, not just our body there, remember it's a metaphor, so that my whole life will be full of light, will be shining for Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. Now, just like me, you have to make up your mind, what do I want to let into my life? What do I want to look at? What do I want to, to, to see? So he wants you to know, and he wants me to know very clearly, what if my eye is not clear? What if I'm not looking at the right things? Then what? So in verse 23, we learn this. An important focus on earthly, I'm sorry, an improper focus on earthly treasure makes everything in me dark. And what I mean by that is it makes everything in me evil. Because the word in the text, paneros, means evil, bad, wicked, and various other uh, words that, that it could describe. There is something else that can fill my life when I look at the opposite of that which is Christ-centered. So you get the point? In this world, we can either be centered on Christ and see the things of Christ. It doesn't mean we don't see what's going on in the world. Of course we do. But that's not a part of who we are. And that's why the world doesn't like us anymore. Because the world's going a different direction. The world is going in darkness. They're not looking at the things of God. But there is something else that you can choose to fill your life with if you look at those things that are not centered on Christ. So I ask the question, what is driving me to look at the wrong things if that's what I'm doing? What's driving me to do that? If the eye with which I am looking is evil, 
my whole life will be full of darkness. And he means by that the darkness of sin, the darkness of evil, the darkness of the satanic world. Remember, Satan is the little G God of this world right now, right? That's what, that's what Paul taught us. And uh, he is he's running a kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of light. I want my eye on that. So do you. There's a kingdom of darkness. We don't want our eyes on those things. It is simply a matter of identifying what the evil eye of man is attracted to. What things is the evil eye, are the things of the evil world are attracting their eye to? It is not attracted to the heavenly kingdom. It is not attracted to the things of God. It is not attracted to the word of God or what God tells us to do. It is attracted to the earthly kingdom, and that kingdom belongs to God's enemy, Satan. It is not seeing things the way God desires them to be seen. It's not looking at things with your heart the way God wants you to look. The word evil there in that verse, which my New American Standard says, but if your eye is bad, that's our word we're talking about, your whole body will be full of darkness. The word evil may include all kinds of things like pornography, sensuality, materialism, which is easy for us to do because we have so much. Even the poorest people in our country are richer by the world's standards than the poor in the world. So it can be materialism, it can be greed, uh, it can be hoarding things, and a multiple of meisms that exist today. If that which uh, illumines your life is darkness, then you are indeed really dark inside. Most often, sexual perversion is brought about by a disconnect when a person is growing up. And what happens is that their emotional needs are not met when they're little. Their emotional needs are not being fulfilled when they're little people. Mom and dad are too busy, or mom and dad are not connected at the heart level. Mom and dad aren't taking care of the emotions of the child. And sometimes those kids say, you know what? Mom and dad aren't going to care about me. I'm going to flip the switch off on my emotions. I'm going to care about myself. Then somebody comes along and introduces to them some kind of sexual perversion. And uh, most of the time, for young men, they choose pornography. And then that turns into an addiction, trying to get their emotional need met. And then that turns into guilt, and, and it, it causes you to feel guilty all the time, and you want to hide it. And if you go in and you help Jesus, uh, if you listen to Jesus, let him help you deal with the emotional disconnect that you had when you were little, and heal that emotional disconnect, then he can heal pornography, and he can take it away. But I'm here to say there's probably nothing more damaging and more dark and more uh, addicting that a man can look at as pornography, and it's rampant. I told you years ago we did a survey in our district, which would be Kansas and uh, Nebraska, a little, a little bit of Missouri, doesn't matter, but out of about 88 churches, we found out that 70% of our pastors were having some problem with pornography. 70% of the pastors. If that's what it's like with pastors, what's going on with the average man in the pew? The workaday world man of the, in the pew, what's he doing? What's happening with him? And so that's one of the darkest things because it is, it is captivating and it puts chains on them and it throws them in prisons and it causes them to destroy their marriages and their relationships. But there's all kinds of other evil things that we can fill our insides with. That's just one. 
So your whole life, if that's your eye, is about wrong priorities and things of the world, not the things of God. And I think Jesus is indicating that in the case of those who are without the kingdom perspective, his kingdom, uh, they have light, or they think they do, but it's their truth. And the Bible says it's really darkness. When you tell somebody today that uh, you have to share the truth of God with them, and it's right here in the Bible, they would say to you, well, that's your truth, I don't buy it. And that's not really the objective truth of the universe. There's other truth out there. And we'd say, no, there isn't. This is it. But people without Christ, people in darkness, think that they have the light. They think they have the truth. They think they know what they're doing. And they think you're wrong for believing in Jesus. They think they understand the light, but they don't. It's darkness. At least that's Jesus' opinion on these people without him. His opinion is that they are deceived by the kind of light that they have, which is really darkness. Those people think that the light is on, but it isn't on. They cannot see the real truth that is covered by darkness. They need the help of the Holy Spirit of God so they can be illumined to the truth of Jesus Christ. John stated that when Jesus came into the world in the Gospel of John, he says that he was the light of the world. And the world decided that they loved the world more than they loved Jesus. And they rejected the light. And they rejected the truth. Now that's mostly about the Jewish people. And that's what John is writing about. But the Gentiles also rejected the light. And then along the line, the Spirit of God opens people's hearts and they can start to see the real truth. That's what we pray for. One of the brightest people I can think of today, because I like him, is uh, the Canadian Dr. Jordan Peterson. He is a clinical psychologist. He is not a Christian. He is a pragmatic Christian, which means he likes to take the things out of Christianity that he thinks are good and live those, but he's not trusted Jesus as his Savior. So I understand that. But as far as even our Bible goes, he's a good man. And he seems to be a moral man, which the Bible upholds, who defends conservative ideals, but he is uh, all based in, among other things, an evolutionary existence of man. He is so brilliant in so many ways, and yet he is caught in the darkness of the deception of evolution. And there's a lot of things out of his theories that, that are built on that. And that happens in the world. And in Jesus' eyes, uh, he is a man that is still full of darkness. Even though he's a good man, he does good things. There are lots of good people in the world that are completely blind to the truth of God. So when you and I look at our own possessions, do we see things that are for the advancement of God? Or are they for our advancement and our enjoyment? If they're for our advancement, our enjoyment, then Jesus is saying, your eye is dark. Your whole life is dark. You don't see things as God wants you to see them. Uh, that will affect a person's life in every way. If you live in Satan's dark kingdom and you don't have the truth of the light, everything that you do is tainted by the darkness. The bottom line is that if your eye is straightforward, clear, on God's kingdom and his concerns you will then be laying up treasures in heaven that are permanent. And Jesus wants us to do that, right? We don't work for our salvation. Salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, period.
period. But once we become Christians, Jesus commands us to do good works in his name and earn a reward because he wants to reward you for those things. So we don't stand around thinking, well, I'm too pious to want a reward. Why am I too pious to want what Jesus wants to give me? We've been over that. Verse 24. Jesus said that we cannot serve two masters. And by the way, that's the issue with the eyes. Do I have an eye that on Sunday intently looks at the word of God, but by Sunday night late I'm looking at pornography on my computer? Or I'm looking to see what the next trend is in monetary advancement for my own purposes? Jesus said it is not possible for us to serve two masters, even though we often try. This is taught by Jesus in light of the culture where they had slaves in his day. And in that scenario, we understand that a master uh, typically wanted complete dedication to him. So I have servants out here. I want them to be dedicated to me, my purpose, and what's going on with me. That's just normal for that to happen. And they want him to be uh, about his business, and they're dedicated to his business. They're his servants. He expects loyalty and commitment to his goals. And God in heaven expects no less than his servants being loyal and committed to his goals. Jesus gives us the opposite extremes that are present when we serve two masters. It is the difference between hate and love. And look at what he said. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So the point is, you and I will be devoted to one of those masters, and we'll despise the other. You say, no, but I can love money, and I can love Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you can't. Jesus, I can love my possessions. You gave them to me. I can love all those things, and I love you. And Jesus says, no, you don't. Now, just remember who's preaching this. Jesus is. You will be devoted to one of them, and you will despise the other. Devoted means and carries the idea of a strong attachment a strong interest in one. Do I have a strong attachment to Jesus and his kingdom? Do I have a strong interest in his kingdom? Or is it somewhere else? Despise means to look down on someone with contempt. Have you ever in your life worked for more than one boss at a time? I worked on a farm, and I had three bosses, the dad and the two brothers. And I was constantly in trouble with one of them because one of them would send me to do something and the other one would step in and say, that's not what I want. Here's what I want done. So I, I'm there. So I, I change and I go do what they want done. That one wants to know, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And then the big boss would say, look, who writes your check every, every week? You know, I wasn't smart enough when I was little. <laughs> I was making $2 a day room and board. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't that much. But he says, if I'm paying the checks then, or writing the checks, you do what I say despite what these other two say. Ah, that puts you in a terrible spot. Uh, it's not fun uh, to be under more than one boss. And I can say that I'm not a fan of that. There are often power struggles between the people in charge. And uh, that makes us tend to want to gravitate to whichever one seems to be the fairest and the one who might actually care about me as a person. All right? Money doesn't care about you. Wealth does not care about you. When you're gone from this earth, you're going to leave it all here. Despite the fact there are people that have tried to take it with them. They took nothing with them. 
Money doesn't care about you. Money can be gone the next day. I don't know anything about Bitcoin and all that stuff like that, but I understand there was a death that caused a crash in some of those things. And people lost all of it overnight. You can't trust in those things. Money doesn't care about you. Jesus cares about you. And he will always care about you. And if you want to put your efforts somewhere, put it with Jesus. Because he has treasures in store for you that cannot be rusted away, cannot be corroded, and the moths don't get in and eat it up. It is secure forever. And you will be very appreciative of those when on that day he gives you what you laid up in store with him. So that's where our focus is. It doesn't pay to have a strong attraction, excuse me, it doesn't pay to have a strong attraction to money or wealth or filthy lucre. All your possessions. Older translations use the word mammon. I told you about that. It includes more than just money. It includes wealth, meaning all of one's possessions. And what Jesus wants us to do is realize there's something more important than what's right in front of you. There's something more important than the new car you got, or this, or that, or whatever you, whatever you have. There's something more important, and it's Jesus. It's his kingdom. And if you have eyes to see, you can see his kingdom. If you have ears to hear, you can hear what he wants you to do. Things of all natures can tug relentlessly at our hearts every day. And if our eye is evil or bad, it was with a bad eye that Eve looked at the off-limits fruit in the garden, and look what happened to us because of their decision. Here is Jesus' concluding teaching. We are people who cannot properly serve two Masters, I mean his conclusion in this area. We cannot properly serve two masters, so we need to stop and choose which one we're going to serve. Dr. Craig Blomberg said this, quoting, We try so hard to create heaven on earth and to throw in Christianity when convenient as another small addition to the so-called good life. Jesus proclaims that unless we are willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. Man, those are strong words. I think he's right. I think that's what Jesus is saying. We can see that this is a serious issue with Jesus Christ, one we should undoubtedly take a good hard look at. Remember that lady out in front of the temple? And Jesus and his men were probably on, sitting on a shelf by the temple or a, you know, a rock wall. However, there was all these people going in, and they were throwing in these big bags of money, and they had those funnel-like metal offering receptacles that went into a box and were making all this noise, and they're, they're drawing attention to all their giving. And you remember the lady? She came in and she gave less than a penny. And Jesus said, hey, hey, wait, guys, look, look at this. He didn't draw attention to anybody else but this woman. And they'd given, you know, if you will, hundreds of dollars. She gave a penny. And he said, they gave out of their wealth. It cost them nothing. 
She gave up everything that she had. Who do you think Jesus in that scenario would say had a clear eye? And whose were full of darkness? The one that saw the kingdom, and it was all about the kingdom. And the others just did what Dr. Blomberg said. They just added Jesus in a small way uh, into what they call the good life. Well, uh, there's things that you and I as disciples have to deal with here, isn't it? We have to make up our own minds. What are we going to do? So here's some applications from this. Number one, we need to ask this question. What kind of an eye do you have and what kind of light is it letting into your life? Is it really dark or is it light? Secondly, Pharisees tried living for God and wealth. Which one do you think that Jesus thought they were serving? Hmm. Mammon is a master. Jesus is calling us to refuse to be its slave. And finally, choose a clear, straightforward-looking eye. Make Jesus your master. We like to say the apple of our eye. The Hebrew text says the pupil of our eye because it's right in the middle. And I'm saying that Jesus is calling us to put him right in the middle and focus on him. Let that into our life. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, again, with the words of Jesus Christ, and we know that he, he told us he never said anything that you did not tell him to say. And you want us to get this message that you're putting across today through his Sermon on the Mount. And Father, each of us has to measure ourselves against what you said. We have to make up our mind. And I believe I serve people that have integrity and love for you. And we will take these words and we will ask you, how can we be better than we even are today at doing the things you've asked us to do? And lead us in that. And Father, I pray that you would and that we would be willing to see where we might be lacking and to change it and make our life just that much more pleasing to you. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us what is right and what is wrong. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand, please. We're going to close out by singing Oh How I Love Jesus, uh, hymn number 529. We're going to do one and two out of that, verses one and two.